Hello. This episode contains descriptions of self-harm that some people might find distressing or triggering. If you don't feel like that's something you'd be comfortable with, then please do listen back to another episode of the Positive Mental Attitude podcast where we don't talk about those subjects. Hello and welcome to Positive Mental Attitude. This is a podcast about the positive aspects of mental health. I'm Juliette Burton and I'm a comedian, a speaker, a writer, Concord pilot and occasional fantasist. Um, But I'm also somebody who has mental health conditions. Uh, And by the way, one of those things, in case you are very trusting just like I am, uh, one of those things I mentioned in that list is not true. Uh, So I think uh, think it's fairly obvious I haven't ever flown a plane. I just, I feel like, I I don't know why I felt the need, I felt very, like it was really important to tell you listener uh, exactly which one wasn't real I, I just felt like I felt I, I can't lie I don't like lying anyway this show is all about how we mustn't be ashamed of our mental health conditions especially when there are so many legitimate things to be ashamed about I'm ashamed about my dancing skills uh, about my, my my dress sense sometimes the fact that most of my pants have got holes in them where there aren't meant to be any holes and not in like a sexy way just in a I haven't bought new pants for a while kind of way uh, now um, I've especially with my dancing skills as well the latter of those two words being used rather loosely um i'm not ashamed of my mental health conditions though and neither should you be my darling now i have many mental health conditions and in not quite alphabetical order which is doing wonders for my ocd uh they are anorexia anxiety disorder bipolar disorder body dysmorphic disorder bulimia bipolar disorder it's worth saying twice because it's got two parts compulsive overeating disorder depression psychotic hallucinations and obsessive compulsive disorder uh, ocd which is an acronym which annoyingly also isn't in alphabetical order (laughs) mental illness can be a struggle for many people including myself but let's not add to the struggle by trying to bum people out even more let's be positive in this podcast we focus on the solutions and the positive aspects of mental illness so you're very welcome now the positive mental attitude podcast is only possible thanks to our lovely sponsor stagecoach group practicing good mental health is a lot like running a large transport company Actually, it's not, but it's very different in almost every respect. But then that's why they've sponsored us. So thank you very much, Stagecoach. Uh, now, joining me this week is a comedian, author and podcaster, Sophie Hagen. Uh, Sophie is a keen mental health advocate and goes to great lengths to ensure her shows are anxiety safe, which I presume only applies to the audience and not always to herself. Uh, she is a comedian, after all. Uh, hello, Sophie, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So you are here because you have uh, you're a purveyor of mental health conditions you have you have them i have them yeah what <laughs> yeah, what what do, you, what do you have well i have or i have had depression uh definitely loads of anxiety still there recently diagnosed with ocd Ooh, thank you very congratulations. much congratulations thank you so much it means a lot <laughs> welcome to the club <laughs> <laughs> um i have uh i've had an eating disorder uh, which I used to call binge eating disorder, but I think you just used another name for it, didn't you? I, compulsive overeating disorder. Oh, that does sound better than binge eating it's disorder, doesn't it? got words. I mean, this was diagnosed before we started talking <laughs> empathetically about these conditions. Yeah, okay. But, but I don't do it anymore, but I still have compulsions to do with it. Like, I, I'll buy the same amount of food I used to, but I just don't eat all of it. Okay. So it's a weird thing that can't really leave my, my head. 
Um, yeah, I, I actually get that. The compulsion to buy the food is yeah. different to the compulsion to eat the food as well. Yeah, it's kind of strange. It's it's like I, I still get the anxiety around, well, you have to, you can't just buy a meal. You have to, there has to be more to it because just in case you need to eat all of it. But then I'll have like not even a fourth of what I used to eat. And I'm just full. And what was the first one that you were diagnosed with out of, out of all your conditions? I mean, we, we know the most recent one, the obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, well, the most recent one is probably, uh, well, it's not, I always end up with therapists who don't like to diagnose people. And I'm really into being diagnosed because it gives me like a sense of calm. Right. Okay. Right? You kind of feel like, oh, there's a word for it. So it's not me being just a super strange, weird person who can't. Uh, function in the world there's a word for it there's a reason yeah but my therapists have always been a bit like oh no well is, is anything really a diagnosis I'm like yes it is please give it <laughs> to me now uh, but the re- re- most recent one was um to do with disassociation dissociation um this kind of uh feeling uh constantly feeling outside of my own body in a way like a a constant feeling of if I walk down the street I'm genuinely convinced that people can walk through me but I know logically they can't yeah but it's this feeling of oh no there's no walls around me there's no kind of barrier between me and people so we're still working on that <laughs> boundaries boundaries are yeah yeah it's a strange one st- I, and also when I when I say strange and weird that's not like a judgment or that's not like a negative word for it. it's just it's difficult to talk about these conditions without I guess like using the word in terms of I, th- I think who I'm addressing are people who don't feel this way, yes. for whom this would probably seem a bit out of the ordinary. Yes, I've met those people, um, and I feel like it's quite an in- instinctive, intuitive. You you know those people that don't quite understand where you're coming yeah. from. Uh, so yes, for their benefit, yeah. we're using words like I understand this is yeah. weird, but for yeah. me, th- what, you, what you just said makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. It's weird that people aren't just walking around going, "Do you know what? I feel like I have no outlines." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, how do you do life? Yeah. But the first one was probably depression mm-hmm. because uh, I, oh yeah, it must have been because I was sixteen, fifteen, sixteen. And I started self-harming and I completely like crashed into depression. So that must, yeah, that was probably the first one. Rethink Mental Illness uh, is a leading charity provider of mental health services in England and they support tens of thousands of people through support group services and advice and information. If you want to find out more about them, uh, go to rethink.org and they have given us some information about your depression, about depression generally, not <laughs> your depression. Oh, I'm really glad they're not like, well, first of all, your father <laughs> left. Like, oh, wow, thank you. Yeah, it's all on their website. I, I just, it's got a whole page dedicated to you, Sophie. Um, depression is apparently fairly common, uh, not to make you feel not special uh, <laughs> affecting about one in ten people at some point during their life it affects men and women young and old depression is a long-lasting low mood disorder and it affects your ability to do everyday things feel pleasure or take interest in activities symptoms can include low mood feeling sad irritable or angry having less energy to do things losing interest or enjoyment in activities uh, loss of concentration becoming more tired more easily uh, disturbed sleep losing your appetite feeling guilty or worthless and thoughts of self-harm or suicide um so much fun uh but but genuinely did did that ring true for you was that kind of yeah yeah it's kind of it feels like uh like the set list for my teen years (laughs) it very much feels like yeah tick tick yep all of that oh brilliant so you kind of went you went through all of those things one after the other or was it sort of a combination how did it first present itself 
I think it it happened. It it, it was triggered by uh, sort of a, a breakup situation. I was in a relationship I didn't want to be in. Like the first boy who was I ever thought was interested in me, and he was really in love with me, and I wasn't in love with him, but I felt really guilty about saying no. <laughs> so I was just this this horrible relationship for about a month where I didn't like him, and then eventually I kind of gained as much confidence as I could and I broke up with him and this was like teen it's like teen years like teen school drama and then everyone was angry with me because I hurt him and oh it was this, like just this just this really ridiculous kind of there was like a trigger that kind of went deep 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 into childhood trauma of not being good. like I grew up with a psychopath for a grandfather who basically raised me who all for him it was always you have to please other people especially men because if you don't, then we'll all leave you and it'll, it's the worst thing. That's your only function. So when this 16-year-old boy was really sad that I broke up with him, it just triggered this, okay, you have no more worth, you have no more purpose, everything's bad. Oh, and then I just, I remember a whole summer, it must have been when I was six, between 16, when I was 16 going on 17, uh, and I was just in my bed, curtains drawn, just crying. And I remember... I remember looking in the mirror one day, seeing myself just cry, and I remember thinking, oh, I, I didn't even know I was crying, because it had become such a normal thing that I was like, oh. And I remember <laughs> staring at myself thinking, you look you look quite nice when you're crying. Like, oh, yeah, I know, this almost weird uh, out-of-body experience. Uh, and I think, yeah, and then I started self-harming, and then I told, I got a new boyfriend that I liked, and I told him, in a really happy way, I was like, I started self-harming and it's making everything better. Just constant one. It doesn't. But when you're so in so deep, the act of the act of cutting, there was something freeing in seeing why the pain was there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such a weird situation. I was genuine. Like I, was, I, was, I mean, I was so far into this whole depression hole and I couldn't see a way out of it. And I had already started walking into traffic without looking because I didn't want to commit suicide but I thought if it's an accident then everything will be okay so I told my boyfriend really happily I was like I started cutting and it's just so great and then he of course like had a full breakdown and uh, told me to definitely go to a doctor and I was like oh, okay but as soon as I explain to the doctor that it's really good then they're going to be like great keep doing it I genuinely thought they would that you thought that they would encourage you to continue really doing it I really thought so I was so far into this wow. mindset there are other ways to cope but mm. if you if you if you're struggling with self-harm the reason that you're 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 doing it is because your emotional resources um are your emotional distress outweighs your emotional resources to cope um so we get it it's mm. you're not alone, it, and it it isn't a, it isn't an odd thing to do. Actually, you're mm. actually doing something that is helping you survive. Um, but there are other things that you can do that might be a bit more healthy to survive. Yeah, I think that's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> uh, but Carrie, so you yeah yeah. So I went I went to the doctor, and I was just I just sat down like as if it was like a business meeting. And I was like, listen, doc. <laughs> <laughs> you're so confident for a teenager. <laughs> the old man back home, he really wants me to. <laughs> 
uh, my man wants me to talk to you. And I was just like, so I, you know, I self-harm, but it's, you know, I'm not like the, I'm not like the other girls. Um, this is just because it really helps me and I'm in complete control. And yeah, you know, I am, it is progressing. Like I am using worse and worse things and doing it harder and more, but you know, it's just really helpful. And I just wanted to let you know. And he said, um, yeah, I'm going to um, admit you to the psychiatric ward. And I said, no, no, wait, you, you've not understood me. Um, what I'm <laughs> saying is I got everything under control and I'm fine. <laughs> and then he was like, um, you have to go to the psych ward. Are you going to go? And I was like, yeah. He was like, well, if you're not certain, I'm going to put you in a car and we're going to make sure you get there. And I was like, you're taking this very seriously. <laughs> I was pretty much being like a... What's his problem? I was like, you know, like how a men's rights activist would talk to a woman. I was like, chill out, Doc. Like, wow. Give me a smile. So at the time you didn't realize that it was that serious? And... I had no idea. It wasn't until I got to the psychiatric uh, department of a hospital nearby. And I saw all these people waiting to speak to this emergency psychiatric nurse or therapist. I don't really know. And I, they just seemed to me, I remember thinking, but these people are crazy. I am not. And I remember sitting there just thinking, oh, this is going to be fine. Like, this nurse will see me and be like, oh, but you're, you're normal. Everything's great. You clearly have everything under control. And then they're just going to send me home. And then one of these people, this man who had been walking around in circles, talking to himself, saying really scary things, he walked over to me and I was like, he's going to kill me. What's going to happen? And he sat down next to me and he said, are you okay? And I thought, Oh no! Mm. Oh no! He's he's looking at me the way I'm looking at. I'm I am. Yeah. This has gone this far, and then everything just panicked. And I went into the the office, and I was just like, "Okay, I get it now. Like, I know this is probably not good. And I, I'll st- I promise I'll stop. I promise I'll seek help. Please don't, please don't admit me. Please, like I I'll fix this." And we talked for a while, and I like promised I wouldn't do it again. And I think. I think I did it once more, but then I kind of felt like, yeah, this it's almost like the magic had disappeared because I'd been told that this wasn't actually helping. And then I went through a therapist that wasn't that good. And then once I was out of her consultation thing, I found a good one that I then had for seven years. There was a moment, um, a similar moment when I when I was sections um so I, the first couple of first hospital admissions was voluntary because I was a minor and it was like, well, my parents said, we kind of think you need to. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll have to do what you tell me to. Uh, but the being section was the next hospitalization. And that was a I, I was genuinely trying to get better from anorexia. I was trying I'd gone to the nutritionist. And I was um, trying to eat what they were suggesting, uh, but I was still losing weight. And so probably clearly not doing everything I needed to. Um, and yeah the the hospital the, the the ambulance arrived and it's like being led into the ambulance and it was like just did no no like no glamorous kicking or screaming cuz i didn't have any energy um but more of like a like a horse being led into like to slaughter kind of thing or i don't know why it needs to be a horse specifically but it's a <laughs> horse in my head and then yeah i remember the first few weeks being on bed rest and me i don't understand why i'm here like i i really was i was coping like i was i had a plan you know and and um and i kind of and I didn't mind if that plan didn't work out because you know I, I'm I'm all right. Like I'm I don't really don't know what you're making a fuss about. And they're like, but you you can't see yourself the way that that 
we're seeing like no but i'm really i'm really okay like i can i don't know why i'm, I'm on bed rest why am i why aren't you letting me walk why are you putting me in a wheelchair i don't i don't understand like this is ridiculous making a fuss about nothing honestly these services could go towards somebody who really needs it and then there was one moment where um a woman from the uh, other part of the psychiatric ward so not the eating disorders because eating disorders units are slightly separate to the rest of a psychiatric ward she came in and she had manic depression and um she came in and started chatting to me and she just suddenly burst into tears like i don't think i i've cr- i mean i've cried and, and i'm fairly confident you've cried as well sophie i love <laughs> i love crying i love a good cry but this i've never seen somebody just suddenly cry that much just over, like just waterfalls of just sorrow. And I'm like, are you are you all right? Like, it's I, I know you've got manic depression. This is, but this is it's is everything okay? And she's just like, I just just looking at you. I just I can't. I've never seen anyone as bad as you. And I was like, oh what? But I I I mean I I don't know how to take that. I mean that's in a weird way. My anorexia was like, ha ha, <laughs> well done. Um, and then, and then the rest of me was, that was, that was the first time where I think I'd, I sat up and took notice and went, oh, maybe, maybe this thing has the better, the better of me. Yeah. Isn't it, don't you find it a bit enchanting almost how our brains really try to protect us and really try to save us. And part of that is by making us unaware that something's wrong, because I think a lot of our conditions or mental health issues stem from our brains trying to protect us in some way or trying to, you know, like my eating disorder was a lot about control and restriction and, uh, you know, depression as well was about trying to contain all of these feelings I'd pushed down my entire life. And it is kind of, I in my head, I feel like it's the brain making a unfortunately failed attempt at making things really good. Like the, that's the only thing it's learned how to do, which is create this kind of toxic thing. And then sometimes you just think, ah, oh, it's what a nice attempt, brain, but no but failure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, enchanting is a really good word um, because certainly in in the illness, like I, I think that was that moment with the woman crying was the first time that I, I started to have. I just had a moment of seeing myself outside of the illness, that the illness was lying to me the whole time, telling me I'm fine. You're absolutely fine. I'm so fine. Like this is absolutely all in control. Control being. A huge. I mean, I think I think it's kind of textbook that eating disorders are about either losing control completely and abandoning yourself, but then that is a type, form of control as well, or or controlling from the other end of the, the extreme. Um, but it is enchanting in a in a dangerous way. Yeah. But then it's a survival technique. I, I think I think this is. It's not that I think everyone needs to be mental, mentally ill, but I do think that if that my mental health conditions have been a way of my psycho, my psychology, my psychological self surviving the deep trauma that I've experienced. I want to bring you back to that actually because you mentioned the pa- you didn't mention the patriarchy, but you did mention. <laughs> I always sort of mention it. It's always kind of <laughs> subliminally what's on my yeah, mind. Every other word is what I hear, um, and I yeah. How do you feel the? Because I I I love men. Uh, you love men. Men are wonderful. Um, but I feel that my conditions part part of my recovery has been inextricably linked with my feminism. Oh, that's interesting. 
Does that, do you have any similarities for you or differences? There was something in, oh, this might sound way off, but I didn't know about feminism till I was 23. I'd done comedy for two years at this point, and then I moved to the UK, and I was full-on anti-feminist. I was a men's rights activist. I was, like, a horrible person. Really? Oh, I was fully indoctrinated in this. Oh, I did a joke on Danish... Like, my first ever Danish TV spot was a joke that ended with the sentence, because women aren't funny. (laughs) Full-on. Full-on. Oh, my goodness. I was so lucky that the Danish feminists were... (laughs) They were like, no, we can see it's satire. It wasn't. I meant it full on. I was a horrible person. And then when I moved to the UK and I started doing my anti-feminist jokes, people started calling me out on it. And I just simply did not understand. I remember saying to someone, you're not a feminist, are you? And they were like, yeah, of course I am. And that was the first time someone had said that to my face. So I started, I took two years where I just shut up. And uh, read about it, and then obviously now I'm a super angry, radical, <laughs> old men are trash kind of feminist. Um, but what I think what that did was, is I didn't grow up aware that I was a woman, if that makes sense. Like, that was never, I never called myself a woman. I, it was just not part of my identity. Do you mean that you saw yourself as a girl rather than a woman, or do you no, mean that I mean, just as a person? A person. I, my mom has never used gender talk. It was always person. So it was just never... I just wasn't aware that there was a difference. That sounds nice. I think it to an extent, you know, to an extent, it's the same with... <clears throat> like you also do have to be aware of the system. So on a personal level, it's really nice to not have been put into a box. But you still live in a society that will try and put you into that box. Absolutely. So it's really valuable to know that that is what's happening. Because I just never knew. So any time I experience discrimination, either because I'm fat or because I'm a woman uh, or because I didn't live up to the beauty standard or the f- femininity standard, uh, I would just blame myself. I'd be like, oh, you, it's because you're weird. You know, like the only reason why you're not getting this male attention when you're out and all your thin friends do... That's just because you're exuding some kind of horribleness. Where suddenly when you start to learn about the structural discrimination, you're like, oh, I'm not the problem. <laughs> they are. <laughs> the system is the problem. <laughs> Which I think is why I'm, I've, one of the reasons I've embraced it so hard is because I, went, I gave people a lot of slack for a lot of years. My, like for 23 years of my life, I was like, no, no, it's probably me. I'm sorry. Whereas suddenly when I realized, oh, no, I'm actually okay. Like, I couldn't have helped this. I couldn't have said something different. I couldn't have done anything different. I was always going to miss out on this opportunity. Uh, I would always have been abused in the street. I would have always gotten this. It's kind of a weird relief. Yeah. For me, for me, I so I feel like my my conditions are about a lot about vo- having a voice. So getting into comedy, um, which for me happened fairly late in life, like late, late 20s, um, starting it out in it, it. It was this amazing feeling of, oh, I can actually say what I'm thinking. I can pose it in a way that is not only well structured and well argued. It's also funny. Um, if people laugh, they're more likely to listen. Um, and having that voice and in investing in that voice 
it's like I've been choking myself my whole life through food, either putting more food down my throat or not cutting myself off. So um, a hunger strike is a silence strike. Um, and that was my way of having a strong voice was I'm I'm not eating because I of the injustice in the world and being laughed off my 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 uh my opinions in as a teenager being laughed at by men because ha you what do you know you're a you're a ridiculous girl um and then to the point of you know having the being catcalled and being objectified and um and being diminished my views being diminished and all of that because I, I invited it as well, but because of the indoctrination of, oh, I'm only valued if I'm a virginal, sweet little seen and not heard. Um, oh, and you have a symmetrical face, therefore, oh, I will, I, will, I will appreciate you on one level, but I really don't want to hear from you. And getting into comedy where you can call the bullshit out, uh, but, but getting, in, getting into feminism, meeting other feminists... Um, having that voice within comedy has actually had a hugely beneficial impact on my on my mental health being able to to speak and say what i've been trying to bottle up and and keep shoved down for me a lot about the depression and a lot of the anxiety it's it it's all kind of connected with disappearing or feeling like i don't really exist or that if if I talk at the same level as other people, I my voice won't be as loud as theirs. Mm. And that can both be a woman thing, it can be a fat thing, it can be a mental health thing, it can be... But for me, sometimes I think that the only reason I could start doing comedy was because I genuinely didn't think that anyone would actually see and hear me. I remember the first six months of performing. I remember I constantly wanted to look behind me to see if there was something behind me because everyone was looking in my direction. I don't know how you how you how you feel with existence and disappearance, or if that's something you can relate to. Definitely, I, I remember when I was a teenager that I kept saying the phrase, "I feel like I'm a ghost in other people's lives," um, and Sophie just did a big yeah. nod and like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah." Uh, I yeah, I, fe- I and I still sometimes feel like that, but I feel with comedy, and be, I I I've uh, I've been dating recently a, a bit, and um, I I've. I, there's people who don't seem to understand that if you're a comedian, it is, I think you've said it before, where it's not like I'm going to be that way all the time. Mm-hmm. I go on stage to keep people away from me. This is I spend a year of my life, longer than a year, constructing one hour of what I'm going to say and making sure that I feel really okay with every part of that. And that that that's it. <laughs> like, um, with In terms of being seen, I don't... I, I li- I, I want to be seen, but I want to be in control of what what that what that is. But it's also about challenging. Like I, I I need to challenge that within myself and say actually this is this is imperfect and therefore that's okay. Um, and you can never know what they decide to see. Yeah, and that is terrifying. Yeah, because sometimes I'll get tweets that say. Oh, um, I really like Sophie Hagen because she's not one of those feminists uh, who think that trans women are women. And I have to go, wait, what? I have never said anything other than trans women are women and trans people need rights. And But it's, I think it's because people will just see part of you and they, they'll just fill in the blanks with whatever they want you to be so that they have something to relate to. Mm. And it's terrifying when you think... What have I said? What have I done? Have I said anything that could le- lead people to think this? But it is just because 
you're sort of in the public eye and people are gonna just put onto you whatever they think. And some of those things are they think that you're because you talk about yourself and your life on stage in in like a deep emotional way, they think you really want very long emails of them detailing their worst trauma. And getting a few of those a day can be so traumatizing. I'm and so glad you brought that up. <laughs> isn't it? I imagine you must get this a lot. Yes, and you do too. Oh, well, I've now, more or less because of it, well, that and hate mail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. Oh, we've got to have one to appreciate the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that and death threats made me remove like my email address and all kinds of messaging from uh, like anywhere online. I'm so sorry you went uh, through that, though. Oh, no, don't worry. They still find a way. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but... Uh, it was just because I felt guilty about not answering, but also I can't answer. Like, this is not something I can deal with. Or, I mean, to be really harsh, it's not something I should deal with. And that's not because I don't want to. It's not because I don't feel for those people, like, tremendously. I, I feel horrible for them. And, you know, I wish I could say something, but the only thing I could say is I really, really hope you have someone in your life that will listen to you or that you can get some help or that you can find the strength I, I can't. This is why I've gotten uh, involved with Rethink Mental Illness and Mind a lot more is because uh, with the nature of my shows talking about mental illness, um, I think it gives people permission to talk. Um, and occasionally there's been a boundary issue there. Um, and uh, I now know that I'm I'm I now know that I'm not a, a, a a therapist or a psychologist or a counsellor I'm not trained in this that's not I'm trained in uh, performance that's that's what I'm trained and writing um, so being able to signpost them towards a charity that can help them more and please if you're listening to this and you want to get in touch I, I would love to hear from you um, I don't have the solutions that's that's what I've learned is people will project that onto you because onto me because and onto yourself as well probably because we are confident enough to get up on stage and say this is my story this is where I've come from I'm confident enough to make you laugh about the bits that I've processed already um, they don't see the messy bits um, and they also I think want to believe in this kind of that we've, we've got it solved we, we, we know mm. the answers now which I just want to make this very categorically clear I, I don't have the answers I, I have I have the number of a very good therapist which I will happily pass on to you if you need it. But um, and I and I do love hearing from people, and that communication's important. But being able to signpost towards people with further resources, these amazing charities like Mind and Rethink. Have you have you done any any work with with any of them or any other charities? Uh, I've been a bit involved with Mind, but not enough that I would take any credit for it. But Mind have been the the organisation that kind of direct people towards, um, and the probably the the charity I would most like to to do more work for. You mentioned uh, anxiety disorder and also obsessive compulsive disorder. Very quickly with anxiety disorder, because your shows, you have um, anxiety safe kind of spaces, which I want to ask about. Um, <clears throat> Rethink Mental Illness say that anxiety um, is a normal response to stress or danger and is often called the fight or flight response. Uh, that process involves adrenaline being quickly pumped through the body, enabling it to cope with whatever catastrophe may be coming. The problem arises when this response is out of proportion to the actual danger of the situation or is generated when there is no danger at all present. And there are lots of different types of anxiety. General anxiety disorder, phobias, OCD, PTSD are types of anxiety disorder. 
Symptoms include racing thoughts, uncontrollable overthinking, difficulties concentrating, feelings of dread, panic or impending doom, feeling irritable, heightened alertness, problems with sleep, changes in appetite, wanting to escape from the situation you are in, disassociation. Now, we've already mentioned disassociation, but uh, reading that to myself just now and I'm like, oh, man, that is that is my it's like the, the tree trunk of the rest of my mental health conditions for me. Mm. Is that similar for you? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I've This is one of the first times I really talk about the OCD because I think I felt like mine wasn't bad enough. Oh, God, that's, you know, because yeah. I, know, I know people who, you know, who are <clears throat> completely unable to really do anything in life because of their OCD. And m- mine is fairly... Um, it's it's not consistent. It happens when I'm under a, a lot of pressure, and it's <laughs> it's weirdly privileged in terms that part of it is I can't um, I need it's kind of like hoarding, but I'm also very into decluttering, so it's a weird one where I I have twenty shampoos because what if I run out? You know, I have twenty like face wipes because what if? What if I suddenly I have thirty white T-shirts? Because <laughs> what if? Yeah, and I can't not have that. I I just I, it's just absolutely impossible for me not to have a stock of everything. Because what if? And um, then I sometimes get these decluttering kind of. I mean, I've had to apologize to my housemates so many times because I've like I've threw out all your food. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it was slightly expired. So. It's just, I just couldn't live. I couldn't exist if I didn't throw out your food. Please let me know if you need any of it back because then I'll just buy you a new one. Yeah. And loads of it. <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I so I, I've been through phases with my OCD where it was about pattern and routine and I, all the towels had to be facing the same way, um, that I had to do the same routine every single day at exactly the same time. And that was the most, the 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 worst but as a child, even, there'd be little things like having my socks pulled at a certain angle um, that I now look back on and go, that was that was emotional distress sort of communicated um, in a very real way. Uh, and now, nowadays with my OCD, it's um, it, it, I laugh at it quite a lot because it's just it'll just have a little flag up in my head of a, a little oh my god oh my god panic 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 there's there's something going like this there'll be a around housework where i'll either have to clean everything and and then i suddenly see mess and when there isn't mess or i'll be super lazy and just be like well this is for my, the benefit of my mental health <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm not going to clean anything i'm going to live in a pigsty because it's the, it's going to be ben- beneficial for my <laughs> Mental health. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder, according to Rethink, um, means that you will have obsessions, compulsions, or both if you have OCD. That's <laughs> just in the t- clues in title. Um, <laughs> an obsession is an unwelcome thought or image that you keep thinking about and is largely out of your control. These can be difficult to ignore. Um, these thoughts can be disturbing, which can make you feel distressed and anxious. A compulsion is something that you think about or do repeat- repeatedly uh, to relieve anxiety. This can be hidden or it can be obvious. Uh, It could be saying a phrase in your head to calm yourself or checking that the front door is locked. You might believe that something bad will happen if you do not do these things. Uh, You may realise that your thinking and behaviour is not logical but still find it very difficult to stop. Uh, There are different types of OCD which include contamination, 
tick over there, Sophie, <laughs> uh, which is a need to clean and wash because something or someone is contaminated. Checking, the constant need to check yourself or your environment to prevent damage, fire, leaks or harm. Intrusive thoughts, this is definitely one for me. Is that one for mm, you? Yeah. So these are thoughts which are repetitive and upsetting and horrific. Um, hoarding, not feeling able to throw away useless or worn out items. Ah, is me <laughs> to a T. Uh, does that that sound ring, yeah. ring true? When I when I got the diagnosis, I had this huge brown leather couch in my room that was left there from a former housemate, and I had I had it for like a year, and then I woke up one morning and I just thought, oh, maybe it's time to get rid of it. I should probably get I should probably get rid of the couch. It's a bit big and it's in the way. I don't really use it. And then like two hours passed and I put it on Gumtree. Two hours passed, I started calling people, do you want a, do you want a couch for free? Uh, by 10 p.m., I was full on staring at the couch. Like you, it, has to, it has to get out of my house. I need this couch. It ha- I have to get, I cannot, I can't breathe as long as it's, and I put it into the hallway, a tiny, tiny, tiny hallway. So that it blocked, like you couldn't get into the kitchen or into the bathroom. I just put it up against the wall. I was like, it, and, he's, and I ended up calling my friend and I said, or I texted my friend and I said, I know that this is absolutely weird, but I've just called a moving company that said that they would pick it up at 6 a.m. tomorrow for a thousand pounds. And I said that that wasn't soon enough and I would pay more if they came now. And I don't think that's normal. I don't think that's a good thing to do because I don't have that amount of money. Would you mind coming by? I know it's 1 a.m. Would you mind coming by and carrying this couch out of my house? And for some reason he said yes, and he came and helped me carry this couch out of my house, and we just illegally just left it in the street because I didn't know, it I just didn't know what to do. And the second it came out of my house, I was like, oh my God, yes, thank God it's out of my house, I can, I can breathe again. And I told my therapist, and she was like, oh, so when, when were you diagnosed with OCD? And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? She was like, oh, you didn't know. Oh, <laughs> and that's how I found out. Because part of me was like, no, but I just couldn't breathe when the couch was in my room. That makes sense. It was a big couch. So what I want to ask you what's helped the most, because this is this is a, pos- a podcast about the positive aspects of it, um, of mental health. I feel like within the discourse around mental health, there's a lot of, you're going to be okay, uh, just get some help, just speak to people, you'll be fine, don't be ashamed. There's a lot of that. And I know it helps people. I've seen it help people. But I also know there are some people who have reached the point where they're like, yeah, but I can't afford mental health. And also, I don't think it'll be fine. And I think sometimes actual practical advice, obviously, it's always best to hear it from a therapist. But sometimes, if you have some piece of practical advice that can be more helpful than saying, chin up, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe try and have a laugh. <laughs> so I think the advice that helped the most from my first therapist, my second therapist, was. Uh, all psychological, I don't know if it's all, but some, at least, let's try and say some just to make sure. Some psychological progress is two steps forward, one step back. And the logic behind that is, you know, you, you progress, you get better, and your brain is like, holy shit, this is amazing. You, f- you feel really good now. It's working. And then the brain goes, uh-oh, this is all new. This is terrifying. Oh, my God, you've started just speaking to people. You've started not being afraid. That's probably really bad. And then it takes a step back just to get back into the warmth of, you know, your mental health issues. And then once it's comfortable again, the new thing didn't seem so new anymore. So it'll go two steps forward again and then take one step back. And that helped me. That still helps me when I go, oh, it's not working. Oh, no, I'm really, 
it's really bad again. I go, oh no, I'm just adjusting to how great it was last week. And um, the second piece of advice was um, you can't change you can't change people you can't change your parents and I think it's a thing we do we do it so much we keep doesn't matter how old we get we'll keep trying to change them we'll keep having the same arguments we'll keep trying to adjust anything but our expectations to them so it's about realizing they will never like they'll never change and you know some people might but that's not the point the point is what you can control is your reaction to them. Yeah. And you can stop expecting a different result each time. Uh, which in relation, to, that was in relation to the advice you said, which was people always go home uh, during Christmas to try and fix things. Don't. It's the worst time to try and fix things. Yeah. The, um, I, I found that has helped me a lot as well with the, um, the idea that nobody can make you feel anything. Mm. The only, I can't change them I can only change myself and my my response exactly to yeah them um Christmas is a horrible time oh, to try and change God. things do you have any hints or tips on how to survive Christmas if you have mental health conditions and a family <laughs> um you don't have to do anything you don't want to do you don't have to spend Christmas you don't have to celebrate Christmas you don't have to go home there's plenty of people who are alone on Christmas and are just fine with it there's no traditions and stuff are usually made for normative um you know, mentally fine people who have... Uh, a, There's no an, such thing an, as a mentally fine yeah, person. Yeah, I don't know what that was. <laughs> but I meant like a, like a... You know, a nice... People with nice family relations, with no trauma, no... You know, that, it's really good. I know, where are they? <laughs> who are they? How do they do it? You know, it's not necessarily made for, for us. You know, there's loads and loads of um, queer people who just, you know, have, are not allowed to come home. And it's... That feeling that you get of, oh, I should probably, that's not necessarily a thing. No one can force you to celebrate Christmas with people who hurt you. Um, I don't I don't know uh, whether whether this is too much information, but um, uh, who cares? It's our podcast. Um, this Christmas, I, it's, I'm nervous this Christmas because um, I will be single for the first time in seven years. And uh, I also have learned that I love my family so much. They're my heroes. Uh, but I probably need to call in on them on Christmas Eve and then leave. Um, so this Christmas, it's it's a bit of a, a big one in a different way. Where I, I want to, I, I've wanted the whole year, I've said I'm going to cook my own Christmas dinner. I'm going to cook my own Christmas dinner. And now it's going to be a Christmas dinner for one. Which I think is empowered and amazing. Mm. But there is a part of me, which I think is called society, that says that's pathetic and and awful. Like, but I I can watch anything I want on TV if I'm on my own, mm. and I can I can eat at any time of day. And if I burn anything, who cares? Mm. And there's no expectations apart from my own. But that's the dangerous thing is it's only me and my expectations. I I, I do this with New Year's. I always stay f- as far away from anything to do with parties, and I fall asleep by 10 p.m. Because I just hate, I hate New Year's and everything to go along with it. Um, Rethink Mental Illness say uh, that 
Uh, all kinds of things can help you with your mental health. Uh, hypnotherapy, self-help books, meditation, comedy, uh, reading, kindness, routine, getting enough sleep, sense of perspective, massages, apps like Headspace. The list is endless of things that could help you. And what uh, Rethink Mental Illness hear a lot of from people is that being with people who are in a similar boat can be a big support, knowing that you're not alone. And that's why Rethink Mental Illness have helped set up over 100 peer support groups across England. Please go to rethink.org to find out where your nearest one is or get advice on how to set up your own. Um, and that's very appropriate for this conversation because I think within the world of comedy, um, Sophie, you were one of the first people I was like, I got to know uh, on a personal and professional basis. Of like, oh, we've been through very similar things, we've got a very similar but also very different way of portraying it as well. And these, these this is part of this worthy patchwork of raising awareness but also being authentic and uh we're, we're only talking people have you ever had people say oh it's very trendy nowadays to be a comedian with mental health oh it makes me so tired i'm Thank so you tired of it it's the same with feminism oh this year we talk about feminism just hey it's every not, day is a feminism day it's not gonna be about you ever again so just get over it now it's about <laughs> us <laughs> Love you. Um, you've you've done this anti-anxiety thing. I said at the beginning, the, yes. the, and I, I haven't because it's so much, such a good guess. Uh, you have uh, been trying to uh, help people feel less anxious at your shows. Yeah, I need to make it very, very clear yeah. that it's not all the shows I do ever. It's, uh, it's very, very important that people know that they can't just rug out to any show where I'm on the bill and expect that this is a thing. What it is, is on my latest tour that I did last year, I made sure that every that you could email me ahead of time if you gave me good enough time, well, a good enough amount of time, and let me know if there was anything I could do to accommodate your anxiety. So, say that you're uh, you don't like walking into the room with a bunch of people. You want to walk in before the, sh the doors open. I can come out and get you and let, lead you to your seat, or I can make someone do it for me. Um, if you want to sit by the exit, if you don't want to sit in the middle of a row, um, there are people who had certain triggers that they could email me and ask do I do I do you mention this thing that you wouldn't normally put on a trigger warning because that's my weirdness and I can say no I don't mention that or I do mention that and I mention it around this point in the show uh, there are people who just want me to know that if they leave it's nothing to do with me which is also just a nice thing I'm like oh cool okay that helps with my anxiety if somebody does that for me if like, just gonna let you know I'm, yeah. I'm gonna have to leave it about halfway through and it's not because of anything you said yeah it's really nice so I did that so people could email me and then I would sometimes I couldn't sometimes it was something just actually impossible um but mo like 99% of the times I could easily easily do it just put some reserved signs on some seats or something like that uh, that was something ex that I did exclusively on that tour. Of course, if you contact me about any other show, I can try, but you can't expect it to always be working because there are venues that don't accommodate this. Or, you know, also a gig like 300 gigs a year, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't have the resources, but I uh, will try and do it again on my next tour. But it's a matter of checking first, and you can't. It's the same with my new show isn't going to have a trigger warning. Uh, so people, if... If they if there's a trigger that they would definitely not like to be surprised by, they also do have to email me and ask. Do, with your obsessive compulsive disorder, because um, one thing that flares up for me is if if there's an empty seat on the front row. Yeah. <laughs> I because I love symmetry and I love I love symmetry and I love patterns and I I I it's really difficult. It's it's this is one of the reasons why I'm fairly fairly sure. Um, this, with the sold out in Edinburgh for the last the last few years, 
I think it's because of that, like my fear of my brain just screaming at me throughout the show. There's an empty seat. There's an empty seat. There's an empty seat. What are you going to do? There's an empty seat. And it's not the weird thing is it's not about the fact that, oh, we could have sold a ticket. It's just that the, the pattern's off. And I can't even thinking about it right now. I'm properly getting anxious. I have it with foot on the stage. Oh, I can. I, the first time that happened, the first time I saw someone put their feet on the stage, I was a, I was a mess. The whole show, I was just looking at that foot and I, I felt like I was being attacked. It felt like a physical attack. How did you cope? I, I just tried to just do the show, but I was like shaking on the inside. Like I was trying to hide it, um, just trying to take the adrenaline and just make it into like a show thing but I, I kept looking at the foot and I just wanted to kick it <laughs> my whole body wanted to just kick the foot down and start screaming at him do you think that because this is do you think that doing comedy is a way of pushing yourself outside of those boundaries that you know because I, I know that getting on stage and seeing those people sitting there and I can't control them. They might have their arms crossed, um, cr- like closed body language, might not laugh. Do you look at them when you perform? Yeah. I don't wear my glasses. Oh, smart. Yeah. I, I look straight ahead and they're a blur. I don't look at anyone individually. So like I, I, just, I just can't. Why, why do you do that? Is that, is that that's the, to calm the anxiety? No, I think it's, yeah, because I think if I realise that they are looking at me, Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> I so I I like being able to see them, but I I don't wear my glasses so that I can I still don't fully know exactly what's out there. <laughs> I'm gonna take that as a piece of advice, actually. Okay, <laughs> That's what there a great you idea. go. That's a positive solution for you. Uh, you can go see Sophie perform some amazing uh, amazing shows, which we will come on to in a second. But you've also got the Secret Dinosaur Cult, uh, which, by the way, is the greatest podcast name ever. Thank you. Uh, so you've got that and Made of Human podcast yes. as well. Uh, so what? Please plug plug away. Plug plug as much as you like. Uh, we, uh, made of Human is kind of like this is a, a conversation about just life and how people cope with it. Um, I think our listeners would be interested in that. <laughs> I think they'd like it. <laughs> uh, and then Secret Dinosaur Cult is is more in terms of polit- politics, but it's funny. It's like a live comedy podcast, uh, so you can also come to a live show. It's about daddy issues and trauma and dinosaurs, uh, it's, and a lot about queer issues because I'm doing it with Georgia Mitchell, who's a non-binary uh, queer person, and she's amazing. And um, I'm going on tour, so that's 19, uh, with my tour bubble wrap happy fats which is a book uh about my book happy fat i'm doing a reading from that it's about fatness and why it's okay to be fat and then i'm doing my first show bubble wrap which is a lot about mental health but also about westlife (laughs) yes bubble wrap uh, i've seen and it's uh fantastic um i'm gonna tell you a little bit more about our lovely sponsors uh, this episode couldn't happen without the help of our lovely sponsor stagecoach uh their sponsorship is vital to the making of this show and while obviously we can't speak for their competitors we think it's safe to assume that since they don't sponsor our podcast about maintaining a positive mental attitude it's probably safe to assume that uh stagecoach's competitors uh, are actively against a positive mental health so um but not stagecoach they care so you know definitely ride with them this has been a really lovely 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 episode and leading up to christmas uh, please do get in touch uh, with me and sophie uh sophie where can we find you again on, on social media uh twitter is sophie hagen s-o-f-i-e-h-a-g-e-n uh instagram is sophie hagen dk for denmark not for dick and <laughs> sophie hagen on facebook as well but the, the best place to really find me is through my newsletter because that's where i 
people can definitely find out what I'm doing and I tell a lot of secrets because I don't assume anyone reads it. <laughs> and uh, well, how can we sign up to your newsletter? SophieHagen.com forward slash newsletter. Yeah, if you'd like to sign up to mine, it's at uh, julietburton.co.uk forward slash contact. Quick f- uh, round now for you, Sophie. Mm-hmm. Um, to med or not to med? What? <laughs> Medication. Do you med Oh. Or- I don't, but don't. I, I, I think it's probably good for pe- some people. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and um, the newspaper headlines, how do you feel about uh, media? This is a very quick fire round. But how do you feel about the media Media's in portrayal in of mental health conditions. Oh, it's awful. Horrible. Brilliant. Good. Lovely. Sorted it then. How would you describe your conditions? So say if you're having a really bad anxiety attack, is there an abstract word or phrase? Uh, I say that sometimes my mind feels spiky. Um, when I'm having a depressive episode, I say I feel foggy. Ooh, um, I I use uh, I feel like I'm not a person. That's that's the instinct thing that comes into my head. Oh, it's I actually use it more when I'm really well. I say I feel like I'm a whole person right now. Yeah, I am. Um, I have a problem with I, I I just I don't feel like I can do I can be a human. I don't understand the rules of being human. Yeah, just can't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's the worst and best thing anyone has ever asked you about your mental illness? Oh, the best thing is, how can I help you? What can I do to make this easier on you? Oh, my God. It's such a relief to hear that. And the worst thing, especially, I mean, I've, I'm guessing that coming off stage, you've, like oh. like me, have probably had a wonderful rendition of all the stigmatized. I think the worst is when people are, like kind of try and diagnose you or like, it gets too much and they're like, do you not know that, you know, that thing you said isn't true about yourself? And they're like, oh, that thing you're describing isn't... Like, they're trying to, like, plant doubt in your head about what... You're already feeling quite doubtful about everything because your brain has not been, you know... It's not felt like it was your best friend for so long. So you're more... uh, You're you're less reluctant to trust it. So when someone says, oh, yeah, that's not it. You You don't... You know, that's not depression or that's not bad enough or... Any kind of thing like that, which is so, so far beyond the boundary of what you can say to anyone, mm. that's the worst thing. Um, I, I've had recently people coming up to me and being like, so so are you, are you, you're judging other people who don't have your condition? I'm like, what? I, and I find it, it's very, it's, in, it's, it's just, there's, <sighs> there's new things all the time that I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. What do you wish people would ask you about your condition, but they just don't? Hmm. Do I wish they would ask me about my condition? Um, I mean, it's the same question. It's how, how, how do, what do we do to make this easier? And I think the 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 main thing I want people to know is that if I ever ask for anything, that has not happened lightly. If I ever ask for anything that would help accommodate my mental health, that is. Like that is the extreme situation that I only ask because I literally cannot think of an. I, usually, I just I'm not good at asking for help. So if I ever say, "Listen, I'm so sorry, but I need the window seat," I, that's not just because I think it's fun looking out the window. That's like that's the last possible solution yeah. is to ask for it. So it's not a matter of fun or comfort. That's actual. Like that feels like survival. Brilliant. Uh, final three questions. Uh, what aspects of your personality are because of your mental health journey? Um, there's not a word for it, but the I don't give a fuck. 
that Brilliant. Uh, what is the simplest thing that anyone can do to help their mental health right now if they want to do one thing? Um, be nice to yourself. And, and I know that sounds wishy-washy, but genuinely look in the mirror and say, I love you. I am so sorry about everything that happened. You did not deserve any of it, but you are magnificent and I love you and I'll do anything I can to make it better. Sophie just said that staring into my eyes and I feel really, I, I feel, I'm feeling things. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go oh, shake that out in a second. Uh, I think I've got a new crush. Uh, finally. Uh, do you like talking about mental illness? Oh, yeah, I do. But I love talking about anything. Great. So this, is, this has been fun for you. I then. really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Great. Uh, here's some facts about Sophie. Uh, she's from Copenhagen. Uh, Copenhagen? Copenhagen. 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 Thank you. Uh, loves Westlife. Uh, you might have picked up on that briefly. And she's making a Dave comedy short for Christmas. Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> you just horrible. suddenly went. Oh, oh yeah, you know I am. I mean, it's yeah. like it's, it's fifty seconds short, so it's really, really. It's just me singing a singing a Danish song. But it, when is that coming out? I, uh, one of the 24, 25 days in Christmas. Great. I don't know. Well, then stay tuned for that. Have a little, have a little Google. Uh, and obviously, she writes a lot about body image issues as well, um, as do I. So, uh, and there's a sum- summary of your attitude towards uh, towards body image. Uh, can you sum it up in in a couple of sentences? Uh, it's it's okay to be fat. Fantastic. And I totally agree with that. Um, I I would my my attitude towards body image is. Your body's friggin' fantastic because it's keeping you alive. So uh, no matter what it looks like, uh, how many limbs it has, uh, how symmetrical it is, uh, what size it is, it doesn't matter. Just enjoy it, please. And also, it's not up to you to change the way you look at your body. It's up to them to stop teaching you to hate it. Yes. Oh, my God. Buy yes. my book. Buy my book. Happy <laughs> Out soon. <laughs> uh, so if you want any further information, and why wouldn't you? Uh, because knowledge is power after all, and power is definitely fun. Then go to Rethink Mental Illness at www.rethink.org. Uh, that's specifically knowledge about mental health conditions. I don't think they have a lot of information about either Sophie or I on there. I am an ambassador for them, so you'll see a picture of me, but that's about it. Uh, right, final section is uh, called Positive Thing, um, which is the least creative title I've come up with of any title ever. Um, I tell you in this section uh, something positive that I've learned. Uh, so it's the best kind of research there is. Uh, did you know that, Sophie, that, and I feel like this is specific, I don't know, I, I feel this is really important for you to know. NASA had to relabel the penis sleeve for urinating in spacesuits from small, medium and large to large, gigantic and humongous because astronauts would only choose the large and they kept slipping off. I think that says everything we need to know about society and the patriarchy. (laughs) Um, uh, Also, just as a random thing, rats and mice are ticklish and even laugh when they're tickled. I felt. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to draw too many kind of direct links between rats and mice and penises. But you know, um, there you go. I've now got them. They're all little lovely, sweet, furry things, aren't they? I suggest tickling none of them. Oh, and on that wonderful note, uh, Sophie, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest on Positive Mental Attitude podcast. Thank you uh, so much for having me. And uh, do listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, have a listen to all the other episodes. Uh, Sophie's not on them, but uh, other lovely people are. Uh, and you will learn more about mental illness and other positive things that you can do to help your own mental well-being. Uh, thank you to Rethink Mental Illness, to our lovely guest, Sophie Hagen, uh, the fantastic team who have gone to put, to put this all together for us. And also uh, to our wonderful sponsor, as a stagecoach do listen to all the other podcasts get in touch with me on social media and if you're struggling to stay positive then don't worry this too shall pass